0: Thank you for joining us on Facebook, uh, whatever platform you're on. If you're on Facebook Live, on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC, uh, perhaps you're listening to our podcast experience, the Dominion Church podcast experience. We're glad that you're joining us for this session. And we are in this series on the sound mind, and we've been in it now for the last month. And So this is session five. Uh, What we've been doing throughout this series is we've been replacing weak mindsets with sound mindsets. Uh, And so this session is going to be no different. That's what we're going to do. Uh, But I do encourage you, if you're able, come and be a part of one of our gatherings. We meet Sundays at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'd love for you to come and be a part of what we do here. What we don't include in our streaming right now is our praise and worship, ministry time, things like that. But we'd love for you to come and get the full experience. And then also, if this video or this podcast blesses you, please like it, share it, subscribe to it so that more people can be blessed, just like you're being blessed. Okay, so we're going to jump into this. We're in the middle of this series, The Sound Mind. And this is session five, and uh, it's called God's Already Won. God's Already Won. And uh, we're going to open up again with the verse. We open up with every session. We've done the last four. We're going to do it today. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind Uh, that term sound mind is also translated as self-control or self-discipline and these words power and love the greek word for power is the greek word dunamis which means the god kind of power so this is not the strength of our own hand this is not the fruit of our own ability this is his power this is his work And then the Greek word for love is that word agape, which is the God kind of love. It's one way love. It's unconditional. It's non-transactional. It's supernatural at its core. So again, the equation there, uh, wherever there is fear, there's an unsound mind. And wherever fear is present, it's due to a lack of a revelation of the love of God because perfect love casts out fear. So an unsound mind is rooted in fear, but a sound mind, is rooted in the power and the love of God, the God kind of power and the God kind of love. And what's beautiful about this is that it's already been given to us. You have the mind of Christ. That is a present tense reality. So then the question will be, well, what happens if there are things that I think that I know are not the mind of Christ? Well, then you pull down. We're we're instructed, you pull down, cast down vain imagination. A vain imagination is any thought that tries to exalt itself against the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So if there's a thought process in our life's experience that produces something that is other than righteousness, peace, and joy, then we can identify it as an imagination that does not belong in our sphere of thinking, and we pull it down. And then we're told to take it one step further, bring it captive so, in other words, put it in chains, put it in handcuffs, and never let it free again. Some of us, that would go a long way, right? If, if we could just learn how to, when a thought comes into our space, you know, I love this, uh, I've heard it said this way, just because you think it doesn't mean it's your thought. The, o- the only way it becomes your thought is if you own it. The only way it becomes yours is if you act on it. Right, because there are times where thoughts can just kind of go through our airspace the same way a plane can fly over this building. i can 't stop it from flying over, right, but i 'm not going to own it i 'm not going to try to shoot it out of the sky, right uh, And so just in the same way, when a thought comes our way and it does not line up with righteousness, peace, and joy, that 's not my thought that 's not who I am i 'm not going to entertain that, and we cap it, we, we bring it captive, we put it in handcuffs, and we say you're never going to find your way into my airspace again. Uh, And so along this line, again, we're talking about God's already won. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, I love this verse, and we got a lot of scripture references we're going to go through in this session. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. There's a connection there that perhaps we miss, that the triumph of Christ, the manifestation of the triumph of Christ is connected to the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him. So if you want to know how to live out present active victory in your life, it's connected to the knowledge of Him. I would submit it's connected to the intimacy of our relationship with Christ. The the level of your intimacy dictates the level of how you believe, what you believe, considering triumph, considering victory in him. So the weak mindset we're going to deal with in this session, weak mindset number five, is my life is full of warfare. My life is full of warfare. I've even heard people say that Christian life is an invitation to war. It's an invitation to battle. It's an invitation to conflict. I guess perhaps they took that that phrase that you're a soldier in God's army and they took it to the ninth degree. Or perhaps they looked at putting on the, the, the spiritual armor. They took that as a literal invitation for a lifetime of war. I'm not trying to make light of that. We're going to bring some wisdom and some clarity on those issues here in the time that we have. So that's the weak mindset. My life is full of warfare. If that's your posture, I promise you, your life will be full of warfare. That's just how it works. What you look for is what you're going to find. Right, and I promise you, in this in this type of culture that we live in, in this type of culture that is so prone to conflict, if you're looking for conflict, if you're looking to pick a fight, you will find a fight to pick. In the realm of the spirit, you will find a fight to pick. But the sound mindset that we're going to replace that with is God's already won. God's already won. So I want to open up Luke chapter 23, uh, I want to set the stage for what we're going to do here, uh, and for some of you this may be review, but this is, this, If I feel like at some point uh, maybe we should do a series or something, and it's about... N- you know, nuggets are truths that change that change lives. I don't know, and, do, and just not discriminate. And just okay, this session, like we talk about Joshua chapter three, right? When when God rolled back uh, your past all the way to the city called Adam, cut you cut it down to the Dead Sea. That is a truth in my life that stopped me in my tracks and shifted my course, right? Uh, or the truth about in Ephesians where we ascended with Christ and we're seated with Him in heavenly places at the right hand of Christ Jesus. When you buy into that, it will. shit it will alter your course it really will and this is just one of those Luke chapter 23 the defeat of the adversary so there were two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him him being Christ and when they came to the place that is called the skull or Golgotha there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and one on his left And then verse 39 through 43, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So on the hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, three men were crucified. Three men, Jesus, and there were two thieves, one on either side. The Son of God was hung on a cross between two convicted criminals. Uh, and there is so much happening during this pivotal moment in history that includes, there's so many levels. We could do, we could go Sunday after Sunday on some of these things. Jesus deal, dealing the death blow to the old covenant. We could do a whole series on that. Jesus establishing the better covenant. You can take the better covenant. You can minister it for 10 weeks. And then three, Jesus birthing the church. There's never language, there's never church language or in the Greek ecclesia language until the work of the cross. All throughout the old covenant, there's no talk of church. There's talk of nation, there's talk of chosen, there's talk of the righteous. But then all of a sudden, in the in the book of Acts, we start finding church. And then Paul begins to minister to churches. So that also, that, that mystical birth happened at the place of the cross. And so while Jesus absolutely is the central focus of the work on Golgotha, that listen, that's the only reason we talk about Galgotha, is because Jesus was crucified there. So he's certainly the main point, but it's also worth examining the other two thieves. So let's take a look. In addition to everything that I've already mentioned that was being done in the work of Christ, he was also dealing with Adam or humanity and the adversary, and we have there in parentheses Satan or the devil. Now, for those of you that have have tracked with me for a long time, I don't really use even those terms Satan and devil. It's not because those words scare me, it's because those words are lazy translations of scripture. Okay, because in the Greek and Hebrew, those are what we call transliterations. So a transliteration simply means this. There's a phrase that we find repeated over and over again, and someone will take the phrase and turn it into an identifier. They'll take a phrase, a descriptive phrase, and turn it into a noun or a proper name. And that's what happened in this case. So anytime you see the word Satan or devil, the actual phrase that the scholars transliterated says this, the false accuser or the accuser of the brethren. Okay, there there is no, I know this is challenging for some watching, for some listening, there is no proper name, Satan or devil, in all of scripture. Not not those words. Those are modern English words. Phrases, words. In Hebrew and Greek, false accuser, the accuser of the brethren. Okay? So just remember that. So the thief to the left of Jesus uses verbiage that should be familiar to us all. What, was the, what, what, what verbiage did the first thief use? Are you not the Christ? Or maybe your translation says, if you be the Christ, get us down from here. Right? And it sounds like the questions that, that we've heard asked of humanity and Jesus on more than one occasion. So in, in Genesis 3, I, you go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 3, verses 1 and 5, we see a similar question of doubt posed to Eve in the garden. Has God said? It's, it's the voice of doubt. In Matthew 4, Jesus is asked similar questions three different times by the adversary. Or if, if you be the son of God. So in other words, if, if, if the adversary is communicating, if the false accuser is communicating, this is, this is what he's trying to leverage, doubt. Do you know who you are? And if I can get you to believe something that you're not, then we can alter your course. Right? So the voice of doubt that is offered by the adversary never changes. The strategy of the adversary is to cause us to doubt who we are. On the day of the cross, the adversary was crucified right there alongside Jesus. Remember, three men were crucified that day. Okay? Then we have the other thief. The thief to the right of Jesus is altogether different in his approach and tone. He knows that Jesus is being treated unjustly and freely admits his own guilt. His most profound statement was, remember me when you come into your kingdom." The word, remember me, is the cry of Adam. Put me back together. I caused this mess. I broke humanity apart, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. Jesus corrected this thief the same way he corrects us today. To this day, Jesus declared that it's not when he comes into his kingdom, but that the thief would be with him today, right now, in paradise. The kingdom life is not about any other time except the now. Come on, if if it's not a now kingdom, it's not the kingdom, okay? On the day of the cross, Adam was crucified. So three men were crucified that day. Jesus in the middle, the adversary on one side, and the Adamic humanity on the other. The humanity that was asleep, crucified on the other side. On the hill called Golgotha, three men died that day, and only one man came back. Only one man was resurrected. Again, the topic that we're talking about is that God's already won. So it's fitting for us at the front of this conversation to understand he's already defeated the adversary. He's stone cold dead and crucified, right? Right? I love again one of my mentors, he used to say it this way: He's he's dead and gone. But if you if you're not careful, his picture is still on your dresser, his clothes are still hanging in your closet, and from time to time you start reminiscing about the good old days, and you might even be convinced he's still alive. But no, he's still gone. So much of what we contend with, I know guys, we're gonna have to do use some faith here. We're 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 contending with memories. That we feel are still realities. And God is helping us to cleanse ourselves of some of these memories that we still hold on to so fiercely. Again, do we need some scriptural help? First John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That word devil translated slanderer, false accuser. So can I say it this way? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of doubt in the life of his sons and daughters. Somebody rightly asked. I, I pulled this quote uh, from a, a great book I would encourage you guys to pick up if you can find a copy of it. It's called Freedom from Twelve Deadly Sins. And, and, uh, and, and this is written by Kelly Varner. And so I took this quote. I thought it was so good. He said, some, some people rightly ask me Pastor Varner, don't you believe in spiritual warfare? And his answer, well, yes, I do. We are to fight the good fight of faith, as did the apostle. See 1 Timothy 6.12, 2 Timothy 4.7. But Paul was convinced and persuaded that the war was over. So he, when he says to fight the fight of faith, he's trying to put us on notice that that's the only fight that there is. We're not fighting against resistance. We're fighting against faithlessness. Come on now. He knew that we're not trying to get to a place of victory, but rather that we speak and move out of the procured victory of our risen King and Lord. Now listen, Holy Ghost intercession and prayer, warfare praise, banners and pageantry, the gifts of the Spirit, the laying on of hands, and decreeing and declaring are but some of the things that we believe in and practice in our public meetings and private lives. 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. So we fight the good fight of faith from the posture of the finished work of Jesus. In other words, in his death, burial, and resurrection, we stand in him and with him on solid resurrection ground. We live in and live out of the place of his eternal triumph, warding off any other notion or thought that says otherwise. We pull down these vain imaginations between our ears by the word of the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. Man, I love that. That is so good. So it doesn't say that, well, there's there's no fight. No, there's a fight, but it's the fight of faith. Again, what what is the greatest challenge to faith? It's doubt. The greatest challenge to our faith is identity crisis. That is the fight, the fight of faith. And so I want to talk about victory here for a little bit. Victory, I love this. I just pulled this definition right out. A success or triumph over an enemy in battle or war, an engagement ending in such triumph, the ultimate and decisive superiority in any battle or contest, a success or superior position achieved against any opponent, opposition, or difficulty. We have the victory, but we have it because of him. His victory is our victory. So not only has God defeated the adversary, let's talk about some other things he's defeated. Man, you can preach yourself happy on this stuff. Jesus has delivered us victory in all things. So here's just a short list, but these are the, these are the big ones. This victory manifests in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 56, victory over sin. I'm going to have to read these. I wasn't planning on reading these, but I got to go through them. First, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. 54. We'll start at verse 54. 15. Okay. You guys just give me a second here. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Victory over sin. In 1 John 3, verse 8, look that up. 1 John 3, verse 8, victory over the adversary. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the adversary for the adversary has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the adversary. Come on guys, already defeated, already there's other verses I can't go into them all. Victory over death. Do you guys the things that many of us still dread and fret and are stressed out about, he's already secured for us the victory concerning those things. Victory over sin, victory over the adversary, victory over death, 2 Timothy 1, verse 10, Revelation 1, 18. Victory over the world, 1 John 5, verse 4. So the question is, what things do you need victory over that aren't covered? And I feel like for some of us, so we won't go after these big things, but then we'll try to make little things worth fighting over. And then we'll just we'll just spend our life fighting even though we don't need to, even though we're not anointed to. Because some of us, let's just be honest, we just want to fight. We just want to pick a fight. We okay, let's keep going here. So we got, we got a few things, victory over the adversary, victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the world. So then let's talk a little bit about warfare, because I know we've got some that are watching, listening. Well, what are you saying? Are you saying that they're, are you just taking all that away from us? Well, to a large degree, I am, but let's keep going. It'll be all right. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we, look, I love this, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every every thought captive to obey Christ. Most most times when we hear 2 Corinthians 10 taught, at least in my experience, verses 3 and 4 are taught. When you share verse 5, it immediately tells you what we war against. Right? Because I know you guys have all heard it. So this is what happens. So there's, we've got a conference and we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about demonic activity and we're saying, well, just remember our warfare is not of flesh, but it's of spirit. And so we're equipped spiritually to go after all this spiritual warfare, right? Is that, that's what we've all heard, right? But then it tells us what we actually destroy and war against. Arguments, lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive That is our warfare. Are you guys okay? Are you tracking with me? There's not a single verse. I challenge you. and I know some of you guys take the challenge. Send me a note and, and I'll repent. There's not a single verse in the whole of Scripture that instructs us or even implies that we war against the devil or that we war against demonic activity. Now, I'm not saying we don't deal with it, but even the pattern of Jesus, he didn't war against it. He just spoke. And it was that was it. Good, get out of here. And they and it left. There was no warfare. Why? Because he'd already secured the victory. It's I'm just putting you on notice, you don't have any authority here. I'm I'm the one in authority. Get out of here. Submit. Right? So again, not a single verse. It tells us that we're supposed to war against these things. Now, now if you want to war, though, against arguments, against lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, and trying to bring your own thoughts captive, that is where the war is, okay? There is a verse in James 4 that indicates, so I'll give you this, it indicates there's a need to resist the adversary. But in the context of this verse, it's in regards to worldliness and wrong thinking, but again, take, take whatever encouragement you need. That word resistance, that, that's all that's required for anything that comes against you to run the opposite direction. Resist. I mean, it's, it's like someone trying to take your keys and you just pull back a little bit. That's resistance. Resist. It's not pull out your bazooka and strap on your grenades and get ready to lose a limb. No. No. Come on, we walk in the victory of Christ. Anytime Jesus encountered the activity of unclean spirits, he walked in authority and cast them out. There was not a, a cosmic battle between Jesus and those spirits. He spoke, they left. Remember, Jesus has given to us that same power in Matthew 28 18 through 20. And since he's given us all power, there's no power left for anyone or anything else. The great warfare of our lives is not against dark creatures, but it's against wrong mindsets. That is the great warfare that each one of us are going to have to fight. Paul exhorts Timothy that the good fight is one of faith. In other words, we will always fight with the desire to do something that gives instant proof over the desire to pursue those things which may not readily offer it. Doing things out of our own strength. I want results now. I don't want to take steps of faith. I don't want to take a step into the unknown. That's our fight of faith. Moving when he says move and you're not sure it's going to work. Loving when, he, when you don't feel like you want to love that person, but you take a step anyway. In those moments, you're fighting the good fight of faith. Not fighting the person. Come on. <laughs> Paul also exhorts the Corinthians that we are indeed in a war, but we're well equipped to win. Why? Because Christ has already won. What war is he talking about? He goes on to explain that the war that the Corinthians are engaged in has to do with destroying arguments, Lofty opinions and disobedient thoughts. You guys are at war. <laughs> are you guys okay? So I, I love um, you know again the verses that are often quoted about putting on the full armor of God. So when we use that metaphor, we assume like we're medieval knights, right? And, and you're not going to knight up unless there's going to be tremendous conflict, right? So you're waiting for um, you know catapults with fireballs coming at you and that's what we envision in our minds and here we are we're ready to you know lop off some demonic heads right but if you go through and i don't even have this in my notes but if you go through each piece each piece of the armor of god it represents the nature of christ it represents the nature of christ we bear his name we carry his nature so we talk about the shield of faith Faith is a person. His name is Jesus. Talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Our righteousness is a gift from God in Christ Jesus. This is all about putting on the man who is Christ. That is our effective warfare. You want to know how to be the baddest knight on the field? Is to put on Christ. Put on Christ. And then you'll realize, and I can't go into it all, but you'll realize that your greatest weapon of war is to love your enemy. <laughs> is to love those that persecute you. Come on, it is love that, that uh, allowed the work of the cross to be put on full display. It was love that conquered all. Love is the great weapon of mass destruction in the kingdom. So nowhere in his explanation does Paul tell the church in Corinth uh, to encourage his readers to take up arms against a platoon of dark forces. But instead, that they should war to bring every thought captive unto Christ. This conflict is something internal and it's a conflict of faith. In other words, what do you believe? Do you believe who Christ says that you are? Where you don't believe, you're going to have to fight for it. Where you don't believe, you're going to have to take up your weapons of war and you're going to have to contend for those vain imaginations to come down. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. Remember, we talked about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay, they're spiritual. The natural person, in verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians two, fourteen through 16. The, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This series is called the sound mind. The realm of the sound mind is a realm that is full of victory. It's a realm where we understand that our great conflict in this life is between who we think we are and who God says that we are. And if there can be a voice, it doesn't matter what voice, any voice that tries to make us entertain doubt, we recognize it as the adversary. That thought is accusing us of something that is not true about who we are. Right? Right? a thought that tries to talk us into something that Jesus has already rescued us from. Then it's time to put up a fight. That is not who my Father says I am. I am who He says that I am. And then we stand our ground. We stand firm in faith. So not only have we been equipped with all power in heaven and earth, but we also have the mind of Christ. So when it's time to grab vain imaginations and pull them down, the mind of Christ is an amazing filtration system. It'll filter out all the all the garbage, all the junk. We just need to make a demand on it. You know, um at my house we uh, we're we're water snobs. We really are. We like we like high uh what is it? High ionization, high electrolyte levels. We like high pH levels. We like we like it to be as Delicious and crystal clear as it can be, and even my kids—it's being passed on to them. I don't know if that's good or bad, but we have a filtration system in our refrigerator, which is great. But they—they're even too good for that. So, so then we have this other one called Zero Water, and it's a—it's like a three-gallon thing that you fill up and you put it in your fridge. So we've got filtered water comes out of the fridge, and a whole water filtration system in the fridge. It's got a pull tab on the front, and like Ava. She's not five yet. I'll give her water, and she knows if it's zero water or if I tried to fool her and get it out of the sink. She knows. She knows right away. because. So the zero water, their whole thing is, we'll filter out all contaminants like 99.9%. So again, the rabbit trail I'm taking is the mind of Christ is the exact same way. Once you've operated in the mind of Christ long enough and it's filtered enough of that garbage that used to be commonplace for each one of us, once you've really started drawing from that wellspring of life that is Christ, as soon as some foreign entity tries to enter into our experience, there's a funny taste to it. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. And I'm not going to allow that into my experience. But some of us, we have not changed the filter in such a long time that any thought that comes our way, we just take it, we nurse it. Thoughts of anxiety, of alienation, of of disappointment, of depression, or thoughts like, well, they just must not like me anymore. And then we allow those thoughts to run over and over, and the mind of Christ is trying to tell you, that's not reality, You need to run that through my mind so you can think what I think about this situation. So we have the mind of Christ. Use it. Use it. Come on. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How does he do it? Through his power, through his love. Wow, man, I feel good. There's some good stuff on this. So much of our frustration in life comes from trying to offer the spiritual in carnal environments, right? It doesn't mean that the spiritual cannot make an impact on the carnal, but it does mean that the carnal-minded cannot expect to understand what is spiritually discerned, right? That's what those verses just said in 1 Corinthians. It says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually judged. Now, note that these verses did not say the saved and the unsaved. It says between those who are spiritually minded and those who are carnally minded. You can love Jesus and be carnally minded. And then someone comes along and tries to minister to you spiritually and you're like, I don't know what you're trying to tell me here. That doesn't sound like that's going to answer my issue. I don't, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but, right? And and it's frustrating because I know all of you guys have experienced that. I know they, I've experienced that before. We're trying to give someone a solution that you know will help them. And they look at you like, well, I don't, that's not going to help me. Yeah, that doesn't meet my problem. That It's because we're coming from two different worlds one is carnally minded and one is trying to offer spiritual solutions okay let's see how we can land this thing so if we're part of the god family and paul says since we are matter of fact if we're part of the god family we have the mind of christ and if we believe this truth or not that's what is part of our spiritual warfare do i believe that i have the mind of christ because if i believe it I start using it. The way that I think about others, the way that I think about myself, the way that I think about the situations surrounding my life, they have to run through the mind of Christ before I'm going to own them as reality for me. I mean, you talk about changing the world in amazing ways, but start by changing our own world first. Right? We have the mind of Christ So let's recap here to close this out. I've gone too long on this. The weak mindset that we're coming against is my life is full of warfare. We're replacing it with a sound mindset. God's already won. And what are the big boys who remind ourselves one more time? He's already claimed victory over sin. See, you don't have, guys, you don't have to live in sin like right now. Like, at this moment, right here, right now. Come on. You don't have to go die and go to heaven before you can be free from sin. Because Scripture says the power of sin is the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law and to initiate the better covenant, right? So in a world where the law doesn't exist, technically, if you go back to Scripture, and it's offensive to some people, the, the, the power of sin is removed. Where there's no law, there's no sin. That's not Matthew saying that. That's Scripture saying it, okay? Okay? Why? Because it's the law, the only thing the law is capable of is revealing sin to us and showing us how desperate we are outside of Christ. But thankfully, now we don't have to imagine a world outside of Him because He lives inside of us. So, victory over sin, present reality, victory over the adversary. Again, adversary, the accuser of the brethren, false accuser. It's anything that manifests itself to cause us to doubt our identity as sons and daughters of God. We already have victory over that. Why? Because my identity is secure in the person of Jesus. Matthew doesn't have to be good enough. I'm I'm free to not have to be good enough. He's already good enough. Victory over death. Man, I'd love to just take a whole series on that. It's so good. Pre-cross, we don't hear verbiage like what comes out of Corinthians and Timothy and Revelation. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That is part of the bragging rights that Jesus has because of the work of the cross. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Are you guys hearing me right now? See, some of us believers, we still feel like the great fight that's still left for us is to face death. That is not a fight because you've already won. So even should you die naturally, as soon as you draw your last breath, you are then present with the Lord. There is no sting, there is no grave for you, there is no victory for death. You have already won. And then finally, victory over the world. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. It doesn't mean that I don't live here. It means that I understand the capacity that I carry is altogether otherworldly. The earth is not trying to figure out how to make its way into my heaven. My heaven is figuring out how to make its way into my earth. So I already have all these victories are delivered to us through the supreme work of Jesus, and he invites us to the table to enjoy each and every single one of them in this life. Oh, that's good news. That's good news. (laughs) Oh, Lord, we just thank you for (laughs) this word. Lord, I thank you for your victory. Your victory is our victory. Truly enough, when one of us wins, we all win. You've already won. And so the victory that we claim, the victory that we carry, is your victory. Lord, that I can lay down some of the weapons of war that have made me so tired and exhausted throughout my life. You know, I believe that part of the fruit of walking in our inheritance as sons and daughters is that prophetic picture where we're told that we take our swords, we beat them into plowshares. Where I'm no longer fighting, now I'm sowing. My days of clanging swords are at an end because I realize Christ has won it all. And now all I have to do is be faithful to sow the seed that I carry. Come on guys, that's how God ended the war. He didn't raise up Jesus with a sword. He planted Jesus as a seed. And it was his harvest that brought an end to the war. It was his harvest that secured victory for us all, and it continues to produce to this day. And so now that you're free to not have to be exhausted in battle, what are you going to do with the victory that Christ has already secured for you? In those moments where doubt may come, you're equipped, you have the mind of Christ. Grab those vain imaginations. Make them subject to the Lordship of Jesus. Just because a thought runs across your airspace doesn't mean it's yours. You don't have to claim it. Lord, help us to identify as we navigate through life that we live a victorious life. We're not going to allow any thought to convince us otherwise. Even said and done, the last words of our story, even death itself has already been defeated. Absent from the body, Present with. The Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your stain? Let it be said of the Lord, He has done it all. And we are invited to that table. Can you just see that now as we're closing? Can you see that in your spirit? There's a table that you're invited to. And I just see it in my spirit, and carved into the wood carved across that tabletop are the words, it is finished. Will you sit at the table at the finish and enjoy what Christ has secured for you? If so, there is amazing, unfathomable joy and peace for you to explore. Right here, right now. Not just, not just in an age to come, but right now. This week. So we just thank you for all these things. We decree them now by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, like I said at this set, blessed you like it and share it so that it can be a blessing to others. And we'll see you next time. I think we're going to have at least one more session in this series on the sound line before we wrap it up. God bless you.